Good morning. So if I have not met you, my name's Todd Finch, and I'm one of the elders here at this church. And we have a brave pastor and brave session who asked me to preach today. So um, thank you for the opportunity, Tim. Well, the passage that we're going to be reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And the subject is going to be uh, love your enemies. And if you happen to be using one of the CTK Blue Bibles that are at the doors, it's on page 811. And this is Jesus talking. Um, We're still in chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the beautiful weather, uh, safe travels here, and we ask that you would help us to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three points to this sermon today. Number one, love your neighbor, including your enemy. Number two, What is God's common grace? What is it, and how does it impact us as his followers? And number three, Jesus' seemingly outlandish and unattainable statement and command in verse 48 to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So let's start off with verse 43. And again, this is Jesus talking, and he starts off this section saying, You have heard that it was said. It's the same phrase that he uses to introduce other sections earlier in chapter 5. And when he usually does this, he's telling the audience, you have heard that it was said, you may have read that it was said, um, and he's referring to the Old Testament. In this instance, he is doing that. He does mean that, but he means more. He's trying to clear up a misinterpretation. And the, the misinterpretation is the hate your enemy part. So let's go back to the Old Testament, to the source of love your neighbor in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which clearly states, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now I can imagine being the sinful person that I am, if I were there in the audience that day, I would immediately begin to think, well, who is my neighbor? Because I don't really want to love everyone. That's too hard. And I can imagine the conversation and the rationale beginning, or beginning like this. Oh, I know, who, I know who God means when he commands us to love our neighbor. He just means the people across the street or maybe the, the people who live behind me. Yeah, they're good neighbors, so I can love them. And then it could have continued, oh, I know who he probably meant to be my neighbor. He probably meant those people who, who are in my people group, you know, my, my tribe or my village, maybe the same, the people who I share ethnicity with or race, race or the same skin color. Yeah, okay, I, could, I can imagine myself going, okay, I can love these people 
Yeah, I can do that. But I think the common mentality back then, or the interpretation of love thy neighbor, is your neighbor are those good people that you interact with, perhaps at the market. You know, the nice, respectable, polite people who do good back to you. Certainly not the scoundrels, the mean, the rude, the inconsiderate. God wouldn't want me to love those people. But that is not what God intended at all. When Jesus was asked by a lawyer in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, who is my neighbor, Jesus responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I didn't realize that Colleen was going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan today, so God ordained that to happen. Um, so you already have that background. But who was the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan did not live down the street from the Jews. The Good Samaritan was not in the same people group as the Jews, the same tribe. In fact, the Jews looked down on the Samaritan. The Jews despised the Samaritan. That's who Jesus is saying is your neighbor. So there's no restrictions in that regard. John Calvin, in a commentary, was, uh, was thinking through who is your neighbor and his, his opinion is the whole human race, including your enemy. And I think he's right. So let's look into the second part. Uh, later in Matthew, the Pharisees asked Jesus, which, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus responded by saying, and I believe this was in Colleen's passage that she read, Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So think vertically. Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So besides the vertical relationship with God, loving him with all your heart, soul, and mind, the next most important commandment in the entire Bible is love your neighbor, including your enemy, the whole uh, whole human race. Well, let's move on to verses 44 to 45. Jesus continues by saying, quote, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't think it's probably too constructive using our time here to brainstorm about all of the different people that you, who you would consider to be your enemies. We all know who our enemies are. We all know the people who dislike us, um, who maybe make fun of us for what we believe. Now, we don't typically get physically persecuted in the United States for our beliefs, but people abroad do. So he goes on to say, by loving and praying for them, Jesus is saying that we'll be considered, quote, sons of your Father in heaven. So there's two things with that phrase, sons of your Father in heaven. Number one, the alignment with God by praying in that way. And the second is an intimacy with the Father, sons of your Father in heaven. And I should also point out here, in, here at this point in the sermon that Jesus didn't just give this advice or counsel. He lived it. Do you remember what he did up on the cross, after the sham trial, after he had been flogged and tortured and nailed to the tree, 
he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So he didn't just give the advice to pray for your enemies. He lived it. He did it. So let's move on to verse 45, which explains how God loves his enemies. Quote, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, God bestows his blessings not just on his people, the people who love him. He bestows his blessings on those people who hate him, who deny his very existence, who mock him. This is what we call God's common grace. Why does he do this? This is an important part of the sermon. This is an important part to remember. God bestows his common grace, blessings upon his enemy, to lead them to repentance. Shouldn't our gratitude for God's love and mercy and grace motivate us to do the same? Don't we want to be like God, to be like Jesus, to imitate Him? Aren't we made in His image? Well, if we do want to imitate God, then our motivation or rationale for loving our enemies is the same as God's. It's to lead them to repentance. So that's our motivation. Last week, Tim preached on the section before this on retaliation. I'm going to read a few sentences, and as I read them, I want you to think of your enemies, whoever that may be, the people who make fun of you for what you believe, mock you, maybe persecute you. Think about your enemies as, we, as I read these sentences. And again, this is Jesus talking. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. God is not saying that our reaction to our enemies ought to be natural or ordinary. God is saying that our response as his followers ought to be supernatural and extraordinary. Now, I realize that this is a concept that's easy to grasp in your mind and very, very hard to put into practice. But I think Jesus knew that when he said it. He knew that it would be hard and he said it anyway. I think Jesus wants us to try our very, very best to love our enemy. Well, Jesus continues in verses 46 and 47, hammering the point home even more by flipping the coin on the other side and giving a hypothetical of what, it's, of what it's like not to be like God. It says, quote, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? The point is that Christians shouldn't act like non-Christians. Believers shouldn't act like unbelievers and only love those people who love us back. We should do like God does when He bestows His common grace and love even our enemies. Well, finally, we get to the last verse of the passage, verse 48. Quote, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
perfect? I mean, is that reasonable? Why would, where would Jesus come up with this, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Well, I'll tell you where he came up with it. If, if you go back to Levit- Leviticus uh, verse 40, uh, chapter 11, verse 44, God commands his people, be holy for I am holy. The next verse, God repeats himself. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Later, in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verses uh, 2, God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then one more, just to hammer it home, Leviticus 20, verse 7. Be holy, for I am the Lord, your God. So you can see from mere repetition how important that is to God. So I think there's two ways to interpret verse 48 where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Number one, Jesus genuinely wants us to try our very best to love our enemies. We've already acknowledged that it's easier said than done, but try, 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 try. The other way to interpret Jesus' commandment in verse 48 to love um, our enemies um, is um, Jesus knows we're not perfect. He doesn't want us to be perfectionists. He doesn't want us to be legalists. As you know, salvation is not about a bunch of list, a list of do's and don'ts. It's all about God's grace, love, mercy, and our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. If you've not already, if you invite Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, when God looks down on you, He won't see your imperfections. He'll see Jesus' perfection. You'll be perfect as God is perfect. You'll be holy as God is holy. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross atones or covers up your sins. If you receive Jesus, you become perfect, holy, and righteous in God's sight. And if you're ready to make this decision, if you've not already, come and talk to me or one of the elders after this and we'd be happy to walk you through that process. So in summary, the three points again to the sermon are love your neighbor as yourself. And remember that your neighbor is the whole human race. And remember how important Jesus said that commandment was. The second point is to imitate God's common grace. Don't love just those people who live near you. Don't love just those people with whom you share an ethnicity or a race or skin color. Love those people who don't even love you back. Maybe those people who are persecuting you or mocking you for your beliefs. And then the third point, Jesus' command to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Try. Try again. Try harder. But when you realize that you don't have the power to do it perfectly, ask God for help. And by the power of His Spirit, He'll help you. He'll intervene and He'll help you. Let's pray. God, the first thing that we'll confess to you is that we can't love our enemies perfectly. We'll try, but we know we'll eventually fail. We need you to help us. We need you, Jesus. Please intervene for us. Send us your spirit to dwell within us. 
and make us holy, perfect, and righteous in your sight. Amen.